Welcome to Finance Lab, a podcast for the intellectual investor, powered by Dalbar, an independent financial research firm dedicated to improving the investor experience. Finance Lab is where real investors get practical insight and perspective from real experts. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the fascinating world of finance, exploring topics like investing, financial planning, market trends, and everything in between. We're here to empower you with the tools and knowledge necessary to make informed financial decisions. Welcome to Finance Lab. I'm your host, Corey Clark, Chief Marketing Officer at Dalbar. This is episode number one, entitled The Journey to 100, and it covers perhaps one of the most fundamental topics of them all, cash, and more specifically, how to ensure that you never run out of it. We have with us here today, Lou Harvey, to discuss this topic. He's the founder and CEO of Dalbar. Lou founded Dalbar in 1976, and since that time has been relentless in his search for the forces that are shaping the world of financial services today, tomorrow, and for years to come. Under Lou's leadership, Dalbar is now recognized and respected in the financial services community for its credibility, independence, and its contributions to raising the level of excellence in the industry. Back in 2020, Lou wrote a paper entitled Prudent Asset Allocation, in which he challenged many of the long-standing beliefs in the industry related to cash needs and investments. Lou is here to share some of the insight from the research and findings that came from that paper. And he has a bone to pick with one particular rule of thumb investors have been using for generations. So you want to stick around to hear that. Lou, thank you for joining us today. Oh, you're very welcome, Corey, and thanks for the invitation. So we have a pretty broad topic to tackle here today. Uh, not running out of cash, I would say that's pretty much checkmate in the retirement planning game. Uh, but as an investor, you really need to be able to think about things from the top down, don't you? Because it can be easy to lose sight of the forest for the trees. Um, so how would how would you break this topic down in terms of a high-level strategic framework? Um, could you give us a, a roadmap of the forest, if you will, so that we don't lose sight of it? Okay. Um, delighted to do that. If we just think about money, there are really only two things that you could do with your money. You can spend it or you can use it to earn more money. It's as simple as that. Um, the, the point is, on the spending side, what you have to be cautious about is not overspending. So the title of the, the this presentation is um, funding your life to age 100. That's the real concept behind it. And in order to do that, you've got to prevent overspending. As one aspect, you also have to maximize the investment side of the world. But most importantly, they have to be done separately. They can't be integrated together. So first of all, on the overspending side, you've got to set aside funds that's needed for five years. That's a number that we we advocate and think is is about the right number. We want to separate the funding that you need for that spending from the rest of your your funds that are that are, can be invested more aggressively. You have to adjust your spending portfolio regularly each year to reflect changes in your own needs, preferences in the marketplace. And then finally, you need the ability to borrow from 
this money that's set aside to handle emergencies. So if, if you keep those four points in mind, setting aside the funds, separating the portfolio, adjusting it periodically and borrowing from the future, you're pretty much secure that you're not going to be running out of money um, when you need it. The second portion of that is to maximize the investments. Clearly, money sitting idle earns you nothing. So you don't want to set aside money just because it's a good idea. You want to get it all invested. You want to get it as invested as you possibly can. Um, and then to aggressively deploy that those investments in, in a portfolio. And finally, to withdraw from the investment portfolio only when the market has recovered, i.e. never sell low. This, that may be an old adage, but it, it's true and meaningful today. That sounds like a, a, a pretty simple framework uh, when, you, when you look at it. I mean, you know, minimize money out, maximize money in. Um, you know, seems to be something that's very intuitive and that any investor could sort of harken back to and to be able to put any investment decision that's in front of them uh, into perspective and context. Um, but I'd like to unpack the spending side a little bit, uh, if we could. Um, I've had I've had the pleasure of, of reading the paper, uh, Prudent Asset Allocation, on a few different occasions over the years. And uh, one of the things that stuck out to me in reading it was the concept of this five-year period, which comes up uh, over and over again and is, is very critical uh, to the spending side of that. Could you explain where where that why why five years where that comes from what's the importance of that time frame and, and where did you come up with with five years uh, as opposed to three years or six months uh, could you could you explain a little bit about that that time frame uh, sure would love to um, but let me put it in a little context let's let, take the context of my dear friends Dan and Martha who wanted to take a grand family vacation, They're 70 years old, um, and they wanted to take their kids, their grandkids, their brothers, sisters, and everybody out to this wonderful tropical island vacation. And the only downside is that it's going to cost them $100,000 to do this. If they did this, however, are they going to run out of money in 10 years? Uh, if they didn't do it, would they be losing the opportunity of a lifetime? Well, what we're going to talk about is how this spending issue gets solved and how this the, the five-year issue that you mentioned, how that plays into it. By always looking ahead for five years, you're adjusting every year what you got wrong in the previous period. So... That five-year period happens to be a manageable time frame. You know, just in terms of our spending, we can think in terms of the next year and the next couple of years. Once you get out to five years, it becomes vague. But if you can keep updating it, it becomes a humanly comfortable level. So from the actual personal level. It's something you can manage. We're not asking somebody to manage, you know, across generations and certainly not the hour by hour, minute by minute kind of management that um, in some cases 
is warranted. Um, the reason for five years, well, we did a lot of research in the subject and found remarkably that 100% of the S&P 500 market downturns recovered within five years. That's the S&P 500, as you might know, is the most commonly used indexed and investment vehicle that's used today. Um, so that, that, that sort of reinforces the five-year period. It means that if you, you don't have to wait more than five years in general for your portfolio, for your investment portfolio to recover, assuming, of course, you're in the S&P 500. We're not suggesting all of your investments be in the S&P 500, but we use that as a benchmark, as a method of looking at it. It means that if you can survive for five years, generally, you're not going to be losing money. Um, the recovery of other investments differ. So I warn you, I caution you, this is not a do, you know, one size fits all, but it's a rule of thumb that we think makes much more sense than some of the rule, rules of thumb that you might hear um, talked about from mm-hmm. time to time. And five, I mean, five years really isn't a long time. And I, I would, I would imagine that that, that statistic of, of the S&P recovering a hundred percent of the time within five years, that's, that's a pretty calming message to, uh, you know, potentially uh, help with the issue of selling low, right? The panicking during a market downturn and selling low. I, I would imagine that's a good thing to keep in mind <laughs> during that time. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, great. And, and so, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, because I, I feel like this is probably what would be on, on most people's mind, and, and you alluded to it a little bit before, but I wanted to dig a little deeper into it if we could, is um, a lot can happen in five years. It's a short amount of time, but a lot can happen. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, myself, I, I could estimate what my expenses would be over the next five years, but there's a good chance something unexpected is going to happen. Um, and so how does one handle emergencies or changes in their spending that they may not have foreseen when making their five-year forecast? How does, how does one deal with the, the certainty of uncertainty? Ah, that is a, is a great question, um, probably because I have the answer. <laughs> Holding your money for five years in five annual buckets, you are actually only going to be using the first year at any given point, leaving the remaining four four years for emergencies. So if the emergency occurs in 2023, you know, you can use the 2024, 2025, 2026 money and then as, as you progress, you begin to make adjustments either in the spend, in your spending or, um, in, on your investment portfolio to bring things back into line. So the whole issue here is resolved. The issue of emergency is resolved by having the spending portfolio in place. So. We've already, well, we talked about the spending portfolio and having five years of cash. Um, and so now that we look at the investment side of the portfolio, is that sort of business as usual or 
is has what we've done on the cash side affect what we're going to do on the investment side? It certainly does affect it. It affects it in a major, major way. Uh, to give you a hint as to what I'm talking about, there are several rules of thumb that exist in the investment community. And I submit to you, they are always wrong. All right. I want to get into that. Um, but w- what we're going to do is we're going to take a short break here. When we get back, we'll uh, talk about the other side of that qua- equation, maximizing investments uh, to never run out of cash. And, and Lou will go a little bit deeper into the rule of thumb uh, that one should never, never blindly follow. So stay with us. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Dalbar. Dalbar is the nation's leading financial services market research firm and is committed to raising the standards of excellence in financial services. For more podcast episodes, visit financelab.dalbar.com. And now, back to the episode. Welcome back to Finance Lab. I'm here with our guest, Lou Harvey, and we're talking about the journey to 100, never running out of cash. Before the break, Lou discussed preventing overspending and targeting cash needs for the upcoming five years. But next, I'd like to talk about maximizing the investments and that side of the equation. Um, Lou hinted before the break that the strategy for maximizing investments is going to be affected uh, profoundly by the spending side of the equation. Uh, So, Lou, what should be part of one's investment portfolio? Well, what I'd like to do is tell you what not to do as the first step. There is a popular extremely popular rule of thumb that your spending should be 4% of your portfolio. Now, that uh, principle assumes that people's needs never change. In other words, your needs at the start of the period are the same as your needs at the end of the period. It also requires that investments don't change that the returns on the investment are neutral. Nothing happens. That time doesn't change anything. Nothing occurs over time. And most dramatically, that the past looks like the future, in spite of what's said constantly. As a matter of fact, any fixed percentage is wrong because we all differ um, in, in terms of our needs, our investments change, our time issues change, and the past performance is never the same as the future. So my introduction to the investment side is forget the 4% rule or anything else that prescribes a percentage of the portfolio. The, the percentage of the portfolio is the result of an uh, of an exercise, and that exercise is forecasting your cash, not a result of some idiotic formula. Right. So the 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 set it and forget it, or 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 some sort of uh, you know rule that 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 every investor could use, and it would be meaningful to them. I mean, on its face, as I say it, I can hardly say it with a straight face, but that it is. I guess the easiest thing to do uh, sometimes, but it, it, it sounds like in any way that you want to categorize it, this is something that someone has to pay attention to and be involved in 
uh, you know, it's not a set it and forget it uh, type of thing that, that there needs yeah. to be annual reviews. Yeah, just keep in mind. Yeah, just keep in mind that whenever you do that, you are certain to be wrong. Um, but the, the, the subject you asked about, um, there are really three categories of investments that I want to put on the table briefly at this point. One is the diversified equity investments. This is along the lines of the S&P 500 that I talked about before. But this is, you know, um, investments where there's a rich history, where there's a understanding of how that, how those investments perform over time, what the limits are, what the patterns are, how often they repeat their, the, the performance, etc. Um, that, however, doesn't rule out the use of speculative holdings. Um, most investors want an opportunity to hit something out of the park. And yes, as long as it's not betting the ranch, it, as long as we're not uh, investing a considerable amount of the, of the portfolio, which again will be determined on an individual basis. Um, the third category that we think is makes good investment sense has to be the real estate. Most of us own a home, and so we need to consider that um, part of our, our investment for portfolio. But there certainly is no harm in exploring uh, investments outside of that, outside of that realm. So some or at least one uh, investment category that was notably absent there. I, I didn't hear you mention uh, bonds or stable value funds in there. Um, I, I also, you know, heard you say a, a, a small amount of speculative holdings, you know, not betting the ranch. So it, it sounds like we're somewhere in between. We're not in this traditional 40, 60 allocation where we're sacrificing return in order to mitigate risk, but we're also not, employing some sort of speculative trading account either. Is that fair to say that we're, we're somewhere in the middle here? That's fair to say, yeah. The, the approach is generally quite conservative without letting your money be idle. I think the, the danger on the investment side is setting is, is letting too much of your money sit, sit idle um, and managing it for the short term as opposed to managing it for the for the long term, um, and yeah, it's, it, we shouldn't be taking um, crazy risks with our with our funds. Not if we want to fund our our life to one hundred. So, Lou, is is it fair to say that what we've done on the spending side of the portfolio is is sort of a, a achieving what the, the fixed income portion of that traditional 60-40 portfolio is doing. Uh, and, and that's why one can be more aggressive within the investment portfolio. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Um, it, it also is laddered. It's, it's an investment term. But the, the whole point is that instead of just having one maturity of your bonds, you can have one, two, three, four, and five-year maturities. Um, again, bonds, I don't think, need to be the only thing that makes up the spending portfolio, but they certainly, that's where they belong. They don't, do not belong 
in an in um, an investment portfolio. And and I wanted to circle back to a, a topic that we we touched upon uh, a little bit, but I think it's worthy of a, of a little bit more um, more time to talk about. And that's well, a topic that's near and dear to to our heart, which is investor behavior. Uh, and you and you talked about the vulnerability, I guess you could say, that investors uh, you know have in turn in times of market turmoil uh, and the. The likelihood of selling when when prices are, are low, H- how does how does this prudent asset allocation um, help with that? Um, you, you know, uh, I know we we talked about doing uh, mid year reviews and, and and not a set it and forget it type type of thing. But could you talk a little bit about how one should be thinking about their own behavior and how this strategy can help to mitigate some of the irrational behavior that we all uh, experience as investors from time to time? Sure. Let's first look at the, um, the issue of when it is that people most often make these poor behavioral decisions. And quite frankly, it's because they need the money at the time. So if if you're in a situation where you need the money, you're not going to, first of all, look around and say, is this a good time to um, withdraw from the market? We, I think, through this allocation system, alleviate that problem simply because we provides for enough funding to handle the business as usual, to handle the spending until the market recovers. So we we have we give ourselves five years to recover. So that that addresses one aspect um, and a very important, probably one of the larger aspects that that allow people to make these kinds of mistakes. Um, the other is, is literally the, the reaction to the human reaction to, um, the market decline you know, that is going online and seeing that all of a sudden, you know, 20% of your portfolio seems to be missing. Um, the comfort that you receive, that you have that you can expect that market to recover in five years and that you have the funds to support life and emergencies until the, this market recovers prevents and, and slows down, makes it less likely that you're actually going to go in and make that, that serious, serious mistake. So we think that this incorporates um, a really comfortable solution for that investor behavior problem that you alluded to. Yeah, that's that, that, that's a good point because uh, you know in a lot of situations, if the if the money is needed, um, you know the investor no longer really has the the freedom to make a decision. Their hands are sort of tied. But uh, if you if you have the the spending portfolio and you have five years and you know it's opened the door for you to now be able to make decisions you know you now you now have the power to make decisions uh, as, as opposed to really being compelled to make a decision because there's no other there's really no other alternative um, 
so I, you know, I guess in some cases that that's not behavior. I guess open it up so that you can actually use your behavior, you know, make a decision, and then and then hopefully that decision will be will be a prudent you one. A yeah, but you got to have a choice first before you can have uh, exhibit good behavior or bad investor behavior. You got to actually be able to behave in some way um, freely first uh, to do that, and uh, certainly having a spending portfolio provides provides that freedom. Well, thank you so much, Lou, for for coming on and and sharing your expertise on this topic. Uh, with our audience today. Uh, we are out of time, but I do uh, urge the listeners uh, to check out Lou's Prudent Asset Allocation paper and some supplemental materials uh, that relate to the topic that we discussed today, uh, as well as show notes at uh, financelab.dalbar.com. So we will see you next time on Finance Lab. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you found this conversation valuable, please visit financelab.dalbar.com to connect with today's guest. We'll see you on our next episode of Finance Lab.